know if you can tell, but our, our stage is a little bit uh, different this morning. And one of the challenges of meeting in a, a theater with, I think there's 1,100 seats or something in here, one of the, one of the challenges is to kind of make the, the room as, as small as possible. So we're trying something a little bit different. We've taken out some rows and moved up and can see a lot better now. So you need to stay a little more alert. Uh, you know, normally I can't tell, but I can see you a lot better. Scott, you got something right there, I think. <laughs> no. So uh, it, I am a, I'm a little nervous. I feel a little, uh, normally I can't see you, and so I just feel like I'm kind of talking, but I'm a little more, I was a little more nervous first service seeing, seeing so many of you, but, uh, but we're trying, to, trying something a little different to kind of help, uh, help, help deal with the, uh, the size of the room. It's, there's a lot of benefits uh, to being at five points, obviously, but then some, some unique uh, some unique opportunities too. So it's kind of a, I, I enjoyed it first service, even though it was a little, little nerve wracking. I can tell they're even adjusting with the lights now here. Now I can't see. So good, good, perfect. Now I can't, uh, in, in a good way, I can't see all the people. That's, that's what we want. Um, but not the other way around. What we're, uh, we're in, uh, we've been going through the, the, the promise of the gospel. We took two weeks off for our missions conference and We've been talking about the, the promise of, of the gospel, seeing Christ in all of Scripture, and so uh, hopefully we're all excited to get back to that this morning. Also, this morning at the end of uh, our, our time together, just a reminder, it's, it's Communion Sunday, so we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So just encourage you even now to be preparing your hearts, to be thinking about uh, how would God have you celebrate the Lord's Supper rightly. Lord's Supper is open at Bethany Community Church to anyone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have to be a member of our church, but we do all, uh, ask that you uh, be a believer. And we encourage you to, if, if there's something that's wrong uh, between you and another believer in Christ, that you would, uh, before partaking of, of communion, resolve between you and the Lord to, to work on that and to, to try to rectify that as, as soon as possible today. And so uh, b- before you partake of the Lord's Supper, you'd, you'd make that commitment. You can still partake of the Lord's Supper, but ask you to at least make that commitment in your heart. So Deuteronomy chapter 11, we've been uh, talking about the, the gospel throughout the Old Testament, the promise of the gospel, and now we're in a section of the scripture we call the law, and we'll talk more about that later. But if you're able to, uh, please stand with me as we read God's word together. I'm going to begin... A chapter earlier, I'm going to begin in chapter 10, and I'm going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and then we'll read all the way through verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 11. Here's what uh, Moses, who's speaking to the people of Israel, says, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him? To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless, the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. 
Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You may be seated. May God instruct us through his word this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of your son Jesus that is found on every page of scripture. The good news of Jesus that is found in the law. So we pray that you would help us to see yourself, to understand your son and his work more fully as a result of looking at this passage and the law this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let me just give you a little bit of a review as to where we've been as we talk about the promise of the gospel. We looked the first week at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we saw the fall of mankind, and we saw that even as God deals with the fall there in Genesis chapter 3, there's the promise of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ is is promised to deal with the curse from sin and the effects of sin, and we see that throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, that that promise that God makes to the woman through his as he, as he curses the serpent, that promise of a descendant is, is traced throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. You come to Genesis chapter 12, which we looked at the second week, and in Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of, of Abraham and, and God singling Abraham out and saying, it's, it's through you, I'm going to give you a, a, a land, I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to give you a, a, the ability to, through you, bless all the nations. And so there's this promise of a Messiah who is going to establish a kingdom in the that the blessing that's going to come through all, to all people through this descendant. We saw that in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 then comes all the, the patriarchs throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, and at the end of Genesis, the people of Israel find themselves in Egypt. The book of Exodus begins, and we see the people in Egypt. We see them enslaved as they become a, a large nation within Egypt. And then in Exodus chapter 12, we looked at the story of the Passover lamb. We saw the story of the Passover lamb, and in the story of the Passover lamb, we again see the person of Jesus. And through each of the the stories we've looked at, we've gained an understanding of who Jesus is. We've seen something about his work, something about his ministry, something about his, his person. We see something about the good news of Jesus Christ throughout every story we've looked at. Indeed, you see it, as we've seen throughout all of the Old Testament. The gospel doesn't begin in Matthew. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is on every page of Scripture. Now, after Exodus chapter 12, that we looked at our last time in this series, the people of Israel, indeed, leave the land of Egypt. And from Exodus chapter 12, to about the middle of Numbers, about, about one year goes by. And in that year, the people leave Egypt. They are given the law. They're told how they are to live in the land. And then, about the middle of Numbers, you have Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14, where the, the people of Israel are told to, to go into the land. They're, they're told to go and to possess it. And in Numbers 13 and 14, you have one of the most tragic stories 
in all of Scripture. Probably the most tragic thing to happen since the fall. The people of God have been promised by God that he will give them this land. They've been told by God how they're to live in the land once they receive it. And God tells them to send 12, tri- 12 spies, one representing each of the tribes, to go into the land and, and, and look at it. And the purpose of the spies' foray into the promised land is not for them to decide whether or not God is telling the truth. The purpose is to confirm that what God said is true and then to, to figure out how they're going to be obedient to God and doing the things that he's called them to do. Instead, what comes back? These 12 guys come back and 10 of them say, yeah, it's true that everything God said about the land is true, but there's a problem. The problem is the other people who are there, and there's no way we're going to be able to defeat them. And in a, a tragic a tragic story of unbelief, the people believe the 10 spies who come back with a negative report instead of, instead of the two spies who say, let's go and do this thing, let's be obedient to God. And what's the discipline? The discipline that God gives them because of their unbelief is that they will not Enter, that generation will not enter the promised land. Instead, their children, who they believe would be devoured by the land, their children are going to be the ones who enter into the promised land and receive God's blessing. That's Numbers 13 and 14. Now, from Numbers 13, 14 to the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, those 40 years have gone by. And we come to the book of Deuteronomy, and Moses is addressing the next generation. And he is preparing them to enter into the promised land. As, as he speaks, they're on the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're encamped in the plains of Moab, and they're preparing to, to go and to enter into the promised land. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, gives them a, a series of sermons, three sermons, three speeches that, that prepare them to be obedient, unlike their parents. The first sermon that he gives deals with their past, and now he's in the second sermon and he's talking with them about how they're to go into the promised land and live and be obedient. And that brings us to, to the, 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 what we're looking at this morning. We're dealing now this morning with, with the law. We've, we've seen things from the past, we've seen things from uh, Abraham, and we've seen things from the fall. Now we're going to begin talking about the law. And the law is a, a very difficult subject for us to understand sometimes, right? It's kind of hard for us to understand the, the purpose of the law. This uh, past week, or maybe two weeks ago, our family made a, a purchase. We, we bought a new printer. And my son Austin, who anytime there's any sort of device that has an on-off switch, he's right there. He's very interested in anything electronic. And so I'm opening up the printer box, and, and he's right there with me, just kind of like hovering, waiting, you know, what, what knobs can I turn, what can I do? And so I'm, I'm taking this, this printer out of the box, and, and Austin says, oh, Dad, can I help? Yeah. And so he starts taking things off, and you know how these printers have tape everywhere, and so I'm taking all this stuff off. And and he finds this, this plastic bag, and inside the plastic bag is a booklet. I'd never seen one of those things before. Apparently, they're called instructions. And uh, He says, Dad, uh, I found this. They're the instructions. Do we need these? And I looked at him, and I said, Son, 
Instructions are for losers. <laughs> we are men, okay? I said, okay, Dad. And so what I should have said is instructions are for losers or people who want to operate machinery properly. And so we, we set up, I spent about 20 minutes, and uh, I did not look at the instructions. And afterwards, I came to Whitney. I said, Whitney, your printer is all set up. I've got it connected to the, the wireless. And uh, I printed out, I pressed a button, I printed out a, a test page. And she said, well, um, when can I begin printing from my laptop? I said, well, I have no idea how to do that. Uh, I don't know how to actually print things on it, but it's prepared for you, so you can take it from here. And she looked at the instructions and was able, or I don't know, maybe she didn't even do that. She's pretty smart, and so she was able to print from it. Now, the point is this. My lack of understanding how to operate the printer fully was due to my carelessness in reading the inst- not reading the instructions. When it comes to understanding the character of God, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that sometimes we're like those who don't want to really read the instructions carefully. What I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that to fully understand the gospel and to fully understand the person and the character and the work of God, you need to know the law. It's a section of Scripture that God has given to us so that we can know Him and understand Him more fully, and our lack of attention to it means that we don't understand Him the way that we ought. My encouragement to you this morning is that if you want to understand the fullness of God's love, you want to understand more fully His character, and you want to understand the hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news, you got to know the law. You must understand the law. And so we're just going to look at at one verse that kind of talks about the law this morning. We're going to kind of look at that verse, and then this is a little bit of a different series for us. Normally we just take a book of the Bible and we talk through that book of the Bible. In these 10 weeks, we're kind of giving a big overview of the Old Testament and the gospel in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at this, this one verse, and then we're going to expand from that one verse and talk about some big things about the law in general. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to talk about five truths that are revealed in the law that are gospel truths, that are truths about the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing I want us to consider. Number one, number one, the first thing that I want us to think about, the law challenges me to love God. The first thing that I want you to think about as you think about the law is that the law challenges me to love God. Look at verse one, and the first part of verse 1, Moses writes, or Moses is speaking, and he says this, You shall therefore love the Lord your God. Now the first thing that we see there that we have to ask ourselves is, well, there's that word therefore, and you've heard this before, but whenever there's a therefore, you have to ask what the therefore is therefore, right? And so what is that therefore referring to? Well, you go back, and it's what we read earlier beginning in verse 12, where he talks about how God requires that they fear him and, and love him. They walk in his ways. They, they love him, and then they're obedient. And then it, that passage talks about the, the character of God, his sovereignty. In verse 14, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, the earth and all that's in it. And then it says, verse 15, kind of a, an application of his sovereignty. Even though he's, he's sovereign over all things, it says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. 
Then he talks about what God has done, the power that they've seen God exercise. Verse 21, he's your God who has done for you these great and, and terrifying things your eyes have seen. And so basically, as you come to verse 1 of Deuteronomy 11, he says, you shall therefore, on the basis of God's sovereignty, on the basis of God's character, on the basis of his love, on the basis of his ability to do the things that he said he was going to do, on the basis of all those things, therefore, love him. If you don't read the Old Testament carefully, you can perhaps miss the central component to the law. As you read through Leviticus, and you, you, you might be tempted to kind of get bogged down by the, 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 the different stipulations and regulations and, and, and miss the big picture. Let me just give you a couple of verses just from Deuteronomy, and then let me give you a little pop quiz, okay? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We looked at Deuteronomy 10, 12. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him? Deuteronomy 13, 3, it talks about a false prophet and says don't listen to a false prophet. He's there to test you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Pop quiz. What does God want us to do that's revealed in the law? He wants us to what? love him. He wants us to love him. I asked Hannah if it was okay to, to share this with you, and, and she said, uh, so I think that's okay. Um, no, she didn't say it. She says fine. But uh, our, our children are getting older. Hannah is our oldest, and she's getting ready to hit the teenage years here in a, in a few months. And uh, It's different. It's a little different to, to parent I think a kid that's that's older, you know, she, she's not just this this little girl anymore. She's she's becoming a, a young woman, and so how do I, as a, a as a dad, relate to her in a way that's that's respectful, that that honors her as a as a as a young woman, and you know how do I do those things? It's it's a, it's a challenge, and sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. Uh, the other day I was I was out, I think it was right over the summer. I was or kind of toward the end of summer. I was I was out running and run a couple miles and realize, oh, you know what? Hannah is out running with uh, her, her friends from co- cross country. I will show up and say hello to her. Uh, as a dad who just run a couple miles and smelled pretty bad. And so I, I show up and I start running extra. Hey, how you doing? I could just sense a little distance. Who knew? Who knew, right? <laughs> that that would be problematic. Now imagine, uh, imagine I did this. Imagine I, I sat down with Hannah and I said, uh, Hannah, you know, I, I just, I love you and I want to spend time with you. And, and let's do this, Hannah, because I love you and I, I want to spend time with you. This next week, let's try to make sure that there's like five evenings we eat dinner together as a family, okay? Just because I love you and I want to spend time with you. And she said, fine, okay, we'll do it. And then 
she started trying to find, again, this is just an illustration, this is not where her heart is, but uh, imagine that she started to try to find the ways that she could keep the letter of the law without getting to the heart of it. So, for example, maybe we sat down for breakfast one morning. She goes, does this count as a meal? Like, do you want a dinner? Does it have to be like in the evening? Or can any meal, can we just do five meals sometime throughout the week? I don't know. Or we sit down and she goes, now how long does the dinner have to be? Because I'm thinking 10 minutes is plenty of time for dinner. And I said, well, I don't know. I need to know. How long is the dinner? Is the dinner five minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it 30 minutes? I don't know. What would her questions reveal? That she's focusing on an application without understanding what the heart of what I was getting at was. I don't really care necessarily about the dinner table. What I care about is is time with my daughter and and loving her, and, and, and I want her to enjoy that time with me. The greatest joy that I have as a dad or as a husband is when my family comes to me and they're like, Dad, what can we do with you? Or, or, or Daniel, I want to spend time with you. And, or we, we just all pile on the couch and, and read a book together or, or, or watch a movie or play a game or something. There's just delight in that. But my delight isn't in the, the instruction. My, my delight is in, in the heart, right? And what had happened with, with the Jews and, and with the, the lawyers and the Pharisees, we see it in Jesus' time, they had gotten so focused on the application of the law that they had, they had missed the heart of it. God's instruction was at the heart of it, love me, delight in me, rejoice in me. And, and the, the Pharisees and the others had, had totally missed the point of the law. The law was never designed to be this, 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 this burden. The law was to bring life and delight and joy to a group of people living in a, in a specific time. Don't misunderstand the law. I think one of the, the major misunderstandings we have of the law is we view it as a contract instead of a covenant. And the same is true for us looking at the New Testament as well. You understand that? A contract versus a covenant? Sometimes we approach Scripture and we say, okay, God, page 75, paragraph C, section 7, line 2, says, and I quote, da-da-da-da-da-da, I've done it, what else do you want? That's not how the law was to function. The law is not a contract. The law is a covenant. You know what a contract is? A contract is what I entered into, what I entered into with, with the apartment whenever I leased an apartment. They say they're going to do these things. I say, okay, I'm going to do these things and pay you this. That's a contract. I never met the people that, I, that owned the apartment. They, you know, we, we had some disagreements. We went back to the contract. Okay, here's what the contract says. It's a contract. No relationship. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is what I entered into with my wife. It's a relationship. A covenant says, okay, Whitney, as we enter into this relationship, this is what the relationship is going to look like, and and here's what I'm going to do. Sickness and in health, poverty, riches, this is how I'm going to relate to you. That's what the law is. The law was a covenant, not a contract. And the essence of, of obedience to the covenant was all about loving God. 
you're going to misunderstand so much of the Old Testament if you misunderstand that truth. The law challenges me, love God. The essence of obedience is loving me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's the greatest command. That's the law. Here's, here's the second thing about the law that I want us to see. Not only does the law challenge me to love God, secondly, the, the law reveals my sin. The law reveals my sin. Here's the last part of verse 1. So, love God, and then he says this, and keep his charge, that's the overarching instruction, and then he's going to say what, it, what is entailed in keeping God's charge. He's going to refer to three things, his statutes, his rules, his commandments, and he says to keep them always, that means at all times. So the, the statutes, that, that refers to things that are decreed, judgments here, or, or rules, uh, also refers to this idea of, of in, in a given situation, how are you going to determine how to act? So, so two people have a disagreement, and, and, and which one, how do we judge between them? That's, that's part of the Old Testament law as well, and you need to, to do and, and judge as God would judge. And then there's these, these commandments, these moral instructions that are given. Now, there's a lot of overlap in these terms, and these terms all together encompass the entire Mosaic law that is given. And what God is saying is, I, I want you to keep my charge, do what I'm telling you to do, and that includes obeying my rules, it involves deciding things the way I would decide to do things, and it involves being handling morality the way that I'm telling you to. All that is encompassed in obeying my law. And what should have happened is this. The Israelites should have begun by loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. And because they loved God, that should have flowed into obedience, trying to do the things that God had called them to do. And, they, and as they tried to do those things, what should have been revealed? Wow, I am not able to do this. <laughs> What can I do? Come back to God. <laughs> Love him. Ask for his mercy, his forgiveness. Try again. Come to the law. Realize, wow, I don't have what it takes to be obedient. Come back to God. Please forgive me. I need your mercy. I need your grace. In fact, uh, let, me, uh, let me read to you how, how Paul describes the purpose of the law in Romans chapter 7. If you have a, a Bible and want to turn there, Romans chapter 7, you can keep your finger in Deuteronomy 11. But listen to how Paul describes the law and, and way, one of the ways it functions. This is Deuteronomy 7, 7. Uh, what shall we say then? The law is sin? No, 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 no. By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And he says in verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that the sin might show, be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So what is Paul saying there? What I believe he's saying, in essence, is this. In my heart, I was already a coveter. But I didn't know about my covetousness. And then I come to the law, and the law says, look, this is what coveting is. And I go, whoa. 
God says to behave this way. I try to behave that way, and I realize I don't want to behave that way. The law doesn't create sin within me. It reveals the sin that is already there. It's kind of like this. You ever been laying in, in bed at night and, and your brain just kind of makes you aware of something? Like you're just laying there and, and suddenly, even though it's been there the whole time, suddenly you hear like a fan or something. And you tell yourself, ah, I'll just, I'll go back to, and you can't. You're laying there and, and your brain says, boy, I sure am thirsty. You say, no, I'm not, I'm fine. Go back to sleep. No, no, I'm thirsty. Oh, a glass of water, so cool. Just get out of bed. No, go back to sleep. And, but the more, you're aware of it now. Now that you're, you can't stop thinking about it. That's what the law does. The law says, hey, 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 you're a coveter. No, I'm not a coveter. Yeah, you are. Oh, I am. Uh, Thursday night, we were going out to dinner. We went to uh, Flat Top Grill. I don't know if you've ever been to Flat Top Grill. Now, as I walked in the door of Flat Top Grill, there's a, a sign on the left hand door. It says something like, do not use this door. Now, I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive this, maybe someone else can back me up on this, if you've ever been to Flat Top Girl, I think that sign has been there for years. And uh, every time I walk into Flat Top Grill, I so desperately want to open that door. Now, normally, I'm a very firm believer, you go in the right-hand side of the door, but it's on the left, and I want to just open that, because I'm wondering, what's happened to that door? What is, over the last years, why have they not been able to fix it? Is there some sort of, some sort of, uh, you know, like, wind, pro- like, if I open that, is like, a gush of wind, it's going to mess up the atmospheric elements of the, the room or something? Is, you know, is there an alarm that's going to go off? They haven't been able to fix. What's going to happen? I, I need to know. Now, if, if that sign hadn't been there, I would have never thought about it. The sign is there. I think about it. It reveals something within me. I've got issues. The law, the law doesn't make me a sinner, right? What does the law do? The law reveals the sin that is already there. You know what I believe? Um, I believe that one of the reasons that in our culture uh, we have a hard time believing that things aren't right with us and God in other words, you know, you know, there's kind of this assumption in our culture that um, God and I are okay. That, yeah, I've got some issues, but, but God and I are, are essentially okay, and, and God isn't that displeased with me. You know what I think? I think one of the reasons people assume that is because they haven't really looked at the law. <laughs> there's a lot we could say about the law, you know, in terms of, of what is applicable today and, and things like that, and I would say that the law, and we'll talk about this later, it's given to a group of people at a certain time. It's not for us today in terms of the, the actual requirements of the law, even though that we still see the, the, the moral instruction given there is, is applicable to us because the character of God and his morality doesn't change. But I believe that one of the reasons that even among Christians there's, assumption, there, there's an assumption that God and I are okay is because we haven't really gone to the Old Testament and, and seen what it really means to be obedient to God and what holiness really looks like and how far-reaching God's design on our life is. 
The law reveals my sin. As I come to this section of Scripture, what is revealed about me is that I am a sinner. Here's the third thing, third gospel truth that's revealed in the law. Third thing is that the law justifies no one. The law justifies no one. And again, as I think about mistakes that we make as we approach the Old Testament, as we approach the, the Old Testament law, one of the mistakes that I think we make is we think, okay, uh, here, we live in the New Testament times, and so in the New Testament times, we're saved by grace. We, we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and so I place my faith in Jesus, and I'm, I'm saved. I, I come into a relationship with God. And the mistake we make is we think, well, in the Old Testament, it was different. The mistake we make is that we think in the Old Testament is different. In the Old Testament, they got right with God by sacrificing a bunch of animals. And a person could be justified, could be saved, could be declared righteous and enter into a relationship with God by just doing a bunch of, of, of things that God wanted them to do. And the, the law was how they were justified, and that's, that's not true. That's not how the Old Testament itself talks about the law. As you come to the Old Testament, we see that the Old Testament doesn't say that the law is that which justifies. In fact, the Old Testament says this is the law, but, but it acknowledges that the law is not sufficient in order to reconcile people to God. In fact, if you're in Deuteronomy 11, look a few chapters over to Deuteronomy chapter 31. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses says something, I think, that's very, very profound and very helpful for us in understanding what's actually taking place as the law is given. There's an understanding that even Moses has as he gives the law that the people aren't going to be able to keep it. Deuteronomy 31, verse 24, says Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end. He commanded the Levites, uh, take this book of the law, book of the law, and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. And then, uh, you know, again, Paul, like, or Moses, like Paul, not, doesn't struggle with flattery, it seems. Uh, verse 27, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. <laughs> Behold, even today while I'm yet alive with you, you've been, a rebe- you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? That's kind of a rude thing to say, right? Look, I know you guys are a bunch of sinners, and after I leave, man, imagine that. You're going to be even worse. Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officials that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them, for I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. In the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands." Even as the law is given, there's an understanding the law isn't going to be that which justifies. The law in and of itself justifies no one. Paul would say that in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and we'll look at that in just a moment, but, but, but his words are, look, the law justifies no one. And here's the fourth gospel truth we find in the law. Because the law justifies no one, number four, the law promises something greater. The law promises something greater. Moses says, love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commands always, and always there doesn't mean like 
on into eternity. It means at all times. So, so what we understand as we come to the book of Deuteronomy and as we, we look at the Levitical code, what we have to understand is this. Uh, because the law can't justify anyone, that the law isn't that which justifies. The law is a, a temporary phenomenon. The law is a, a temporary phenomenon that is, is for this group of people living at this time in this place. So the, the heart of the law is what again? Love God. And now he says, as you guys live in this place, here is how you do it. Here is how you interact with the Canaanites. Here's how you interact with, given the fact that you are living around an idolatrous people, people who are engaged in these cultic practices, here's how you live. The law is a temporary phenomenon given for the people of Israel at this time. And the law is consistently pointing to someone greater. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses will talk about a prophet who will come after himself. And he says, this is the one that you're to listen to. This is, this is given to you. Paul calls it a, a tutor in Galatians. It's, it's someone to kind of, a teacher. It's kind of to train you now, but, but something greater is coming. Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, in fact, let me, let me look at that. Let me just read a little bit of Jeremiah 31 to you. Jeremiah 31 we see the new covenant described. This is while they're still under the law, but God tells the people, look, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant. And this covenant that I will make, this is verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What happens here is that the law is designed to teach people about the person, the work of Jesus, to reveal our, our need for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, and it prepares us for something greater. I love how Peter describes it in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's, he's talking about the, the function of, of what the, the prophets were doing. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, concerning the salva this salvation that I'm talking to you about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. So even as the prophets are calling the people to be obedient to the law, they recognize that the law is not the, the end. But there is someone greater to whom the law is pointing. And they know that, that their ministry isn't just to the people to whom they're ministering now, but the ministry is to those who are in the future. The law promises something greater. Now, here's the obvious question, or somewhat obvious question. If it's true that, that right now you and I are living in the time of the, of the gospel where the, the benefits of the new covenant are being experienced, we're experiencing the blessings of Jeremiah 31. If that's true, why spend time understanding the law at all. I mean, we now know about Jesus Christ, and we know about who he is, and, and what he did, and, 
We know about the cross. We know about the resurrection. We, we, know, what, we know all that now. So why not just spend time there and not, as some might say, waste our time with all that stuff in the Old Testament? Why? On Friday was Whitney's birthday, and that's why Thursday night we were at uh, Flat Top Grill. Um, I, I gave Whitney this, this present, and when I told her what her present was going to be, uh, I really tried to sell it, right? I told her about what I was going to do for her present, and then I said, and, and here's what I didn't do, and I thought about this, and, and here's what I decided to do, and, and I decided to do this because of this, this, and this, and, and I thought about this, and then I said, no, I can't do that because of this, and, and uh, finally she goes, wow, you've, you've put a lot of mental effort into this, and I said, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I want you to know about the mental effort I put into it. Now, what was the gift? Well, I took her out to dinner. Now, how exciting does that sound? You say, well, what's the big deal? And I say, exactly, you need to know the story, which we do not have time for this morning. When it comes to the gospel, yeah, a person needs to know the essentials of who Jesus Christ is, is his death and his resurrection and, and the fact that he died on the cross in our place. He bore the wrath of God for us so that we can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the essential. But how important is it to know the fullness of the story? To be able to, to truly appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that this, this plan of God's redemption just didn't begin in the book of Matthew when Jesus suddenly appeared on the scene. The gospel message is a message that began in eternity past. And then we see God's outworking of the gospel throughout the book of Genesis. We saw it in Genesis chapter 3. As soon as the fall hits, there's God's plan of redemption and, and redeeming people back to himself. And we see that in, in the Old Testament, there would be a holy people called and chosen by him. And, and you and I, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, are, are not the, the be-all and end-all of the story. You and I are part of God's overarching, majestic plan to redeem a people to himself, to honor and glorify him. It's crucial to understand the Old Testament law to understand the fullness of the story. And that brings us to the fifth truth we see about the gospel and the law. The law demands we live not by works, but by faith. Hopefully you've already grasped this gospel truth as we've looked at the law. But, but understand this, once again, it's not like God suddenly said, okay, we've done this works of law thing in the Old Testament. Man, that is really not working out. Let's try, let's try the grace thing. Let's try faith. No, that's not what happened. The essence of obedience to God has always been love of God demonstrated by faith. Uh, Micah, there's, there's so much we could say here, but we don't have the time. Let me just read a little bit from Micah. The prophet Micah in Micah 6 says, what shall I, With what shall I come before the Lord and, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, for my sin, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Shall I do all these things? And if I, if I 
do all these things and offer all these sacrifices, then will God say, yes, I, I finally find you righteous. No. No. He says, he's told you, O oh man, what's good, what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Let me show you something really cool in the Pentateuch. Uh, We're in Deuteronomy 11. And turn back to Genesis chapter 26. Remember, all of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, are are written by Moses. And uh, in Deuteronomy 11, let let me, as you turn back to Genesis 26, let me read Deuteronomy 11, 1 again to you. And listen carefully. He says, love the Lord your God. And then he says, keep his charge. And then he, just, then he uses these words to, to describe his charge. And these words are words that are used to describe the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses. It says, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandment. Remember what I said earlier, that's, that's the Mosaic law. Now remember our timeline. So, so here we are, about 1400 B.C. Moses is saying this. Then we go back before the people were in Egypt, and we go back to Genesis 26 with Abraham, or with with son Isaac, and God is saying some things about Abraham. So Abraham is given well before the law is given, right? Abraham is a recipient of the Abrahamic covenant. Listen to what we read in Genesis 26. Verse 5. He's, he's talking to Isaac about how he's going to fulfill his, his covenant they made with Abraham. He says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. So wait a minute, what? <laughs> how could Abraham be said to have kept the law before the law is even given? How did God declare Abraham righteous? What was it? His faith. This is such a, I wish we could spend just so much more time here, but, but understand this. Throughout even the Pentateuch, even as the, the law is given, there's, a, there's just a clear statement that, that Moses is telling us. Look, the law demands that we live not by works, but by faith. You begin by loving God, and then through faith, there's obedience that follows. The law demands we live not, even the law demands we live not by works, but by faith. Sometimes critics of Christianity point to the Old Testament law and they say, well, look, you're not consistent. You don't understand what the law, you don't understand your own Bible. You say you believe this is God's word and, and yet uh, you're not following all the contract. And we say, no, 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 no. You can't just cherry pick a couple verses. You can't just cherry-pick a couple sentences out of a novel and say you understand the novel. You can't just pick a couple verses out of the Bible and say you understand the plan of redemption. What we see as we look at the laws is part of God's overarching plan of redemption. The same things about God's character that are true then are true today. It's all part of God's call for his people to love him and obey him by faith. It's the good news of the gospel that's contained in the law.